Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, mantenganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Jim, whatever I do, I do it to protect you. So you understand? I understand. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, I had a chance to see Rogue One, a Star Wars story over the weekend, and I wanted to provide something that was part movie review, part thoughts about how the Disney company is handling the franchise. Now, as you may guess, this podcast does have some spoilers in it, so if you haven't seen the movie or don't want to hear about it yet, go ahead and pause this podcast, I'll wait, and you can come back and pick it up later. I'm happy to have you listen to it whenever you feel like you're ready. Rebellion is all that remains to push back the Empire. You think you might be able to help us? When was the last time you were in contact with your father? What is this? It appears he is critical to the development of a super weapon. If my father built this thing, we need to find him. All right. How many do I need? They are requesting a call sign. It's, um, Rogue. Rogue One. The power that we are dealing with here is immeasurable. If the Empire has this kind of power, what chance do we have? We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. So let's get started. The movie I thought was really pretty good. Now, going into it, my son and I were chatting about it, and we're like, gee, I wonder what happens in this movie. And as a joke, we do this a lot with a lot of different movies. We said, hey, everyone dies. And in this case, it took on a little bit more meaning, only because you know what happens in episode four. You know the characters you meet there, and some of the characters they show in the trailers and the previews aren't in episode four. So you have to assume that they probably died along the way. So we go into it with the expectation that that will probably happen. Now, two things about this movie that struck me before I even went in. The first was that John Williams didn't write the score for it. And I was surprised when he said he wasn't going to do it. I guess he walked away from it due to other commitments and so forth. And I was also surprised when I heard that they weren't going to do the traditional Star Wars scroll. They're leaving that for the main movies and these spin-off, one-off movies they're not going to use the scroll for. And, you know, in a way, it kind of loses that Star Wars feeling because it doesn't have those two elements. So we sit down and we start watching it. And you notice the score right away. It doesn't have that same strength, that same oomph that John Williams scored pictures do. 
So it was kind of disappointing in that sense. The music was good. It was well put together, well thought out, but it was just missing that certain substance that makes a Star Wars movie a Star Wars movie. And in fact, we commented at one point when there's Darth Vader in a scene where it started off with the Imperial March. It was dun, 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 So they changed sort of the way it played and it felt different. But it's really okay. Not that the movie was outstandingly, terrifically great, but it worked within the context of the film. Now, missing the scroll, that was interesting because you just kind of jump right in to the storyline. They don't give you anything. There's no context set or anything. You have to know what happened in episode three to be able to kind of figure out where you are. As a standalone film, it kind of works, I guess, because you're being told the whole story. But it just it's kind of an oddity the way they, the way they do it. It's, it's, it's unusual because we're so used to the Star Wars franchise being that way. Now, as far as the film itself, for an hour and a half or so, you're watching a pretty good sci-fi film that takes place across many worlds that you hadn't heard of mostly that uh, go into the uh, Star Wars universe. And it's really just a sci-fi film. So there's some recognizable characters, but overall, most of the characters are new and unique, so they're different than what we're used to. And the, while the thematic parts of it, the trappings of it, has that Star Wars feeling to it, it still doesn't feel like Star Wars. It, it just feels like a sci-fi film. There's nothing about it that, said, that screams Star Wars, really, other than some of the little pieces that they're talking about. They're talking about the Death Star. They're talking about these different things. It's, you know, it's clever, and it works, but for that hour and a half, you're sitting there going, yeah, okay, is this Star Wars, or is this just a pretty good sci-fi film? And you go through it, and you're watching it, and you're like, yeah, okay, okay. And this, it's very dark. It's very gritty. You've started the, the war. The Empire is taking on everybody. And the Empire is trying to you know, get rid of the Galactic Federation and trying to take over the universe. And in doing so, they've destroyed a lot of worlds and they've, they've harmed a lot of people. And there's a lot of you know, just grittiness that happens. There's a lot of you know, things that are happening that just feel unsavory. They feel like you know, a very dark Empire coming in and taking over. Did a great job of capturing that, but it's a little creepy in a way. I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's, you kind of feel it and you go, wow, this was not what I was expecting as far as the storyline goes and the way it's developing. Now, they do take, have one segment that takes place on a uh, planet that's called Jeddah. Now, it's funny because in the opening scene on Jeddah, you see something that looks like a Jedi that was uh, laid out, sprawled out in the, in the sand there, like they had destroyed a temple or something, and there was a, a giant stone Jedi that's laying in the, in, the, in the ground. And, you know, you have to make that connection, Jedi, Jeddah, it kind of fits in a way. You know, these are where they come from. And then they talk about the Kaber crystals and how they need them to, to make the Death Star work. And the Kaber crystals, according to the, uh, the backstory of Star Wars, are what makes the lightsaber work. So it all kind of fits here that you would have gone to Jeddah to be able to get the Kaber crystals, to be able to make the Death Star, because it would be that same sort of energy weapon. Kind of interesting. Nice little subtle story point. I like the way they pulled that out. They don't make a big deal of it, but they kind of talk about it throughout the story. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's actually pretty good. I, I think that was, that was a nice piece that captured my attention. And it kind of went through there. Now, the other thing that really captured my attention was Peter Cushing. Now, Peter Cushing died in 1994. And he was in the original episode four. He was aboard the Death Star. He was Grand Moff Tarkin. And yet here's Peter Cushing as Grand Moff Tarkin in Rogue One. And it's like, huh? What they did was something remarkable. They had an actor who was about his size, looked a little like him, playing the part. And he ran through the lines and did everything, was in every scene that they needed. And then they went back and they used a computer to digitally map Peter Cushing's full look onto this man. And then they altered the voice just slightly so it sounded a little bit more like Peter Cushing. And there you go. 
And it was just a remarkable thing because here's Grand Moff Tarkin and he looks just like the guy from episode four who's doing all the same things. And it was like, wow, that's, that's a pretty incredible thing. And they did a really nice job of bringing that together and making it work. It was remarkable. I thought that was a really nice piece of technology that Disney used. But that's not all they did, and I'll come back to that in just a minute. Now, the last 30 minutes of the film or so become Star Wars. They are in what you know as Star Wars. Everything that happens from then on is really something that you would expect to see. You're hearing the rest of the story of how the plans got, in the, got into R2-D2 and wound up with Obi-Wan Kenobi in Episode Four. And it's really pretty cool because what they do is they take that last part of the story. They built up to this point. So Jin goes in and she steals the, uh, the plans from, the, uh, from this base that's going to be destroyed. And everyone knows it's going to be destroyed and everything's going to happen. She steals the plans. She gets them transmitted up to one of the rebel ships. The rebels get them. They actually uh, have trouble because Darth Vader comes in in a wonderful scene and starts killing the rebels. Um, very reminiscent of the scene in, in episode four. But they manage to get the plans through the doorway to the next ship that then takes off and goes into hyperspace. And as they go off into hyperspace, they take the uh, plans and they hand them to Princess Leia. Now here's where the other piece of CGI comes in. And using CGI, they were able to put a young Princess Leia, a young Carrie Fisher, inside the costume that, that somebody was wearing to look like Princess Leia. So there was a young Carrie Fisher saying something like, uh, we have hope. And it's really kind of neat because they did a nice thing of kind of filling in the storyline. Then the ship takes off. You recognize the ship is the one that's over Tatooine in the battle in episode four. And it takes off. And the guys are running through the corridors that look just like the corridors you see in the, in the battle scene in, the, in that first part. And R2 and 3PO make a very short appearance before, they, uh, before that ship takes off. So you know you kind of have the context that they're on board the ship. So it all fits and it works and it, it makes a really wonderful piece right there. Now, as far as other things that the Disney folks did to create this movie and make it kind of give it that Star Wars feeling late, was they did a, a battle with a bunch of rebels. So they're on Yavin 4, which of course you know is where the, uh, the uh, rebel base is. It's on Yavin 4, and because that's where the Death Star is headed to. And they make it work where you're on Yavin 4 and you feel like you're on that rebel base for some period of time. Mon Mothma's there, Bail Organa's there, some other people are there, and they're all meeting up with the various... Uh, rebels, that rebel alliance, and the rebels aren't sure that they can make this work, and they're not sure what they're doing, and it, 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 it's great because it gives you that backstory about where the rebels are and how they feel about taking on the Empire. And then they do some scenes where there's a huge battle scene over the planet where the, uh, the plans are stored, and it's a really great scene. They did a nice job. They gave it all the feeling of episode four. The way they did some of the graphics and the way they did some of the, the shooting feels like episode four very much. But the other thing they did to really give it that feeling was they took a lot of the scenes from episode four, whether they were in the movie or on the proverbial cutting room floor, and they added them in here. So here were some of the scenes of some of the pilots inside their ships, and they were the rebels who you see in episode four. And some of the, some of the scenes where they're talking are actually scenes that were lifted from the other movie, and it looks and feels like episode four. It was so well thought out. They had it figured out so they could make it feel like it fit in. And then something subtle that happened, one of the uh, X-Wing fighters that gets destroyed is Red Five. And Red Five is what Luke becomes when he joins the Rebel Alliance to go blow up the Death Star. So very clever, very well thought out, very nicely tied. They were able to fit in some of the pieces and make it work. And it really does work. It's, it's pretty remarkable what they're able to do to make it kind of fit in. And I think Disney did a wonderful job of letting this kind of develop up into a good story. Like I said, the first hour and a half, you're ready to just walk out. The movie is just kind of like, yeah, okay, good sci-fi, not Star Wars. But by the last half hour, you're going, all right, this feels right. 
they had to build the storyline and build momentum to get there. Now, as far as the story goes, basically the, the gap for me is that here comes uh, Galen Erso, who's this scientist who comes up with a way to make the Death Star work. Now, if you remember, remember in episodes two and three, they had the Death Star plans and they were ready to, uh, ready to execute on them to build something like this. But I'm guessing, and here's where the gap comes, that the technical nature of actually building is what tripped them up and they had to spend some number of years actually building the Death Star because they had some technical issues to overcome. So that was kind of, a, kind of an oddity that felt weird, weird to me. They had all this plan and they had all this design for what they were going to build for a super weapon, but they couldn't actually build it and it took them a long time. So Galen Erso was helping them sort of under protest and then he realized that it was just a super massive you know, weapon of destruction, which if you look back at history is kind of what happened with um, Richard Feynman, Robert Oppenheimer, the other guys who were on the Manhattan Project. You know, they were working for the greater good and then suddenly they realized we're creating a weapon that could be used to kill millions. And they had that sort of remorse for having done it. Now, in their case, the reality was that somebody was going to wind up developing it anyway. Now, in the Empire's case, if Galen hadn't helped, somebody probably would have built it. It may have just taken longer. So that's, there's that kind of a piece to it that, that, that's kind of interesting. His daughter gets away when he's, captured, when he's recaptured to come back to work for the program because he, he leaves the program at some point and goes into hiding. His daughter, his daughter runs away. She's Jin or so. She's the lead character in the story. There's a, a, you know, a number of story points that happen that get her to go to Jeddah so that she can meet up with the guy who rescued her in the first place and see a message from her father. And when she sees the message, now she's got to tell the rebels, hey, I got this message from my father on how to destroy the Death Star. He built in a secret way to destroy it. Now we have to figure out how we're going to execute on that. And the storyline builds around that, that she's got to go steal the plans back in order to find out what that, what that flaw is that he built into it. And I thought that was a nice little touch, too, because, you know, how did they build in a flaw like that? Well, somebody had to build in something like that, you know, to, to be able to vent the reactor in some way. There had to be some sort of a flaw. Otherwise, something that massive, how would you ever have a, have a design to flaw into it? You would think you would have redundancies and backups and other things to be able to protect it. So kind of interesting that they developed that storyline up to fit in there. There's a couple of other characters that come into the storyline that wind up being this ragtag group of uh, rebels. And it, they're kind of neat. They're all kind of interesting. Um, you know, you've got the different, uh, different people that come into it. You've got Cassian, who's the rebel who's uh, working with Jin to try and make this all happen. You've got this droid named K2, this sarcastic droid who plays the comedy relief and does some other things. He's a, a reprogrammed Imperial droid. And he's, you know, it's a nice little character to have in there. You got Bodhi, who's the Imperial pilot, who realizes that he was wrong in what he was doing and gets the information out to uh, Sagera, who's the, uh, the guy who rescued Jin. They meet up with a guy named Chirrut, who's a blind monk whose job it is, is to protect the temple. And he uses the Force and is Force-aware to be able to do things and uh, be able to, uh, to go into combat and find things. And he's, he's one of the big heroes of the story as a Force-aware person, a blind Force-aware person. It's very clever the way they worked him into the story. And his companion, Bayes, is really interesting because his companion is the guy who helps protect him. And he's got this, you know, this cannon of a weapon, basically, that he's able to, uh, to fire off. So very clever the way they, uh, they do it. And they, they get everybody going. And all these characters kind of have these, these interesting little twists to them. And, they're, you know, they're all very, they're, they're fairly deep, actually, uh, in the way they've designed them. So it's, it's kind of neat the way they, they set them up because they've all got something interesting about them that make them work. I do, I especially like Jirrut because, um, you know, he's walking along and several times you say, I am the force, the force is with me. I am the force, the force is with me. It's, it's very clever because it kind of makes it work. It kind of steals him to do whatever he needs to do. 
cold of this moment. The force is strong. Make ten men feel like a hundred. We'll take the next chance. And the next. You're rebels, aren't you? Save the rebellion! Save the dream! It's pretty good, you know, and there's a couple of other little pieces where they have um, they have things that happen to them throughout the story. The, the, all the cast has something happen throughout the story. And you have to realize that, you know, after episode uh, three, when the Jedi, Jedi are mostly destroyed, and you have to figure there's some Jedi still scattered throughout the galaxy, but you know about two. You know about Yoda and Ben. And Bail Organa knows about both because on the, on the uh, freighter when they're leaving, he talks to both of them and they both are going to go off into hiding and he takes Leia as his, as his own daughter. So there's a scene where he's talking to Mon Mothma and he says, she, says, she says something about, do you still have contact with your old friends? And he goes, yes, I do. But he don't ever use the word Jedi. And it was really kind of clever because you had to read through it. And if you know the story well, you realize who she was talking about and he was talking about. And then when they get to the point of actually... Uh, talking about how they're going to get the plans to him, he goes, I have just the person I think she'll know exactly. And that's where it kind of comes together that you realize he's going to use Princess Leia, his daughter, to go in there and do it. So really interesting stuff. Very nicely done, nicely tied, good little package there to fit it all together. If you can sit through that first hour and a half, it's well worth seeing. I mean, it's just really, really well thought out. The storyline plays when you get toward the end because it just works. You know that everyone's going to die. You know that you, you see some of the interplay of the Empire and how it works. There's this guy, Orson Krennic, who's, who's another you know, evil bad guy on the order of you know, Grand Moff Tarkin or, or Hux in Episode 7. You, you know, those bad guys who are there, but they're, they're just there for a purpose to serve the Empire or the, the, the Emperor or you know, serve the person who's above them, but nothing more. And they're expendable. So in this case, um, Krennic is going along through his storyline and he's helping to build the Death Star. And then when it actually becomes operational, they're like, eh, you're no use to us anymore. And so he has to fight back against the machine to try and get back into you know, some sort of good graces with the Emperor. And it's really interesting the way it plays out because he, he tries to go and talk to Darth Vader. And Vader, we meet Vader for the first time. He's like regenerating his body, which is kind of interesting. So they have this sort of intense conversation with Vader using the force choke to end the conversation. It's really pretty clever because it ties back to, you know, sort of that growth of Darth Vader from episode three. Really, really nice. I mean, it kind of filled that in, filled in some of the Imperial pieces for us here. We see more of the inner workings of the Empire. Troops don't go running into battle until somebody yells at them to go running in. You know, those kinds of things where you just start to realize, wow, you know, it is, it is just an empire, right? They're not, you know, they're not supervillains. They all have something, you know, they all have little interplay. There's stuff happening behind the scenes. You have a guy who defects. You have some other people who clearly were in the empire at some point. They had that droid that they took. You know, different things that happen that kind of chip away at the, chip away at the edges. And even on Jeddah, when there's a big battle between the Imperial forces and some of the, uh, some of the rebels, it's kind of interesting the way that plays out. It kind of shows a different side to the way the Empire works. Really interesting. Very, you know, like I said, very clever. It all kind of works and it's in the context. So there you go. That's the story. Now, I want, also wanted to tell you, there's a um, NPR back in about 1978 or 79 did a radio show. I think it was a 13-part radio show 
about the uh, Star Wars story. And I was gifted a copy of it for my birthday. And I sat and I listened to it, and it was fantastic. They had um, Mark Hamill playing Luke Skywalker. And there were some other characters in there who you'd recognize. But, you know, mostly it was uh, different actors playing the, uh, the parts. But they got into some of the backstory. Sort of that piece, because, you know, they wanted to make the long story and not tell the whole story that they told in the Star Wars movie. They wanted to fill in some of the blanks. And they filled in other blanks that made it work. They talk about Leia and Bail Organa and some of their interplay with the Empire and how they came to embrace the Empire yet work subversively against it. And some interplay with Luke and some of his, uh, some of his friends and how they had fought the Empire in different places. And, you know, they were taking on, they were leaving, you know, leaving the Academy to go fight the Empire and different things like that. And they're trying to recruit Luke. And it's, there's some interesting things that happen. You know, Luke's kind of a goofy kid who grows up very quickly. And you're watching him grow throughout the story. And it's really well thought out. And it kind of fits in with this same thematic thing because they're giving you some bits and pieces that fit back there. And you know, when they get to the scene of Leia getting the, the plans and putting them in R2-D2, they tell a little bit more of the story of how the plans came into her possession. And this storyline in Rogue One fits in with that thematically. It's really pretty good. I mean, it was, it was one of those things where I was like, wow, you know, hearing the whole story and getting a different context for it and hearing everything that happens really does work. And, you know, it's nice to have, finally have some of the details filled in. I've seen episode four, you know, like hundreds of times. It's one of those movies that I, you know, I watched over and over again. I probably saw it, I don't know, what, 30 times when it came out that first summer in 77. And I've seen it so many times since then that... I get the whole story, but it's always that question about how did this happen? How did we get here? Where did these people come from? You know, where did, where did these characters, how did they evolve? How did we get to the empire? How did we get, and now we know that story. And that part to me is the part that's the most interesting that we, now we know the rest of the story. We filled in a lot of the blanks. It makes more sense. It all kind of works. And I think that for me is what made the whole story work. Yeah, I can put aside the fact that there was some oddities with the musical score and there were some different things that happened without the scroll and things like that. But overall, it was really a pretty good movie. I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. You know, my son had some issues with it. He, he's a Star Wars purist. And he's like, look, they changed some of the storyline elements to make it work. And I'm like, yeah, fair enough. Now, as far as the timeline goes, it all did work. The timeline fit in. Everything was good. Uh, you know, you look at uh, Jin and you realize she'd be about the same age as Luke and Leia. So kind of interesting the way they kind of worked that out so that she would be about in that same age range. And you realize that they started work on the Death Star right after episode three. So you've got this maybe 20 year span or so between episode three and four. And it just kind of works in the, in the sense of that's about the length of time that was there. So actually everything kind of fits into the timeline. So nice job. I thought it worked out pretty well. I thought it was really well thought out. My uh, kudos to Disney for getting it right. Um, Gareth Edwards did a nice job of directing it. I think he wrote part of the screenplay too. It was Chris White's, Tony Gilroy, and John Knoll. They did a nice job of kind of capturing everything that happened in the storyline and making sure that they got it together. Now, again, back to that hour and a half of build up to something that actually works. A little tough to take for a little while because you're watching everybody die, basically. And then you get to the point of, of the end and everybody dies, but for the greater good. And then you realize that it all kind of comes together because it was for the greater good. It's, it's for the Alliance taking on the Empire, getting their resolve, you know, deciding that it's worth using the Force and you know, trying, to, trying to let the Force guide them through it. And now Luke becomes a central character in all of this. Now it kind of works. You know, everything works all the way to Episode 6. 
Now we'll see where they go with episodes eight and nine to kind of fi- finish out the storyline, and I want to know what else they, what other nuggets they're going to give us when they produce some of these other one-off movies. You know, they're they're talking about a movie about Obi Wan, one about Han Solo, one about Boba Fett, um, a couple of other standalone films. So any of those could fill in some other nuggets about these characters, and we could learn a lot more about the storyline in the Star Wars universe. You know, now I want to go back and I want to watch the new Clone Wars again because there's a lot of tie-ins to that too, which makes it kind of fun. I'm a Star Wars geek, and I think I always will be, so I'll continue to watch the films. So there you go. That's my part movie review, part enjoyment. Um, I highly recommend that you get to see this film, even if you see it on video, and, you, and fast forward through the first hour or so and then just start watching the film. I think you could still get the context of it and see what's going on, but just hang in there because the end is worth it. You know, as we get to the latter part of the film, it really is worth it. Well, that is my show for you today. I hope you liked it. And remember, the Force will be with you, always. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there... Please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 